says on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us what a great statement of faith do you love to worship the Lord I mean, he has created us for this he has created us for this. that's why you exist that's why I exist Well, this morning we're continuing through the book at 2 Corinthians. If you have your Bibles, you can begin turning there. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, we're going to look from verse 16 all the way through to verse 32 to the end of the book. We're entering a section when, when Paul begins talking to the local church, and he's been talking to the local church, but he starts talking to the local church about what does maturity in your Christian life look like? What does it look like to say that, that I'm a mature believer? And are there indicators? Because Apostle Paul would say there obviously are some indicators. And so remember, He's, he's at a, a, a church plant. Paul's the one that planted this church. He has a lot of new believers in his church. And the new believers, a lot of the people that are in his church, or many of the people that are in his church, they are, man, they're getting tempted to follow some other people. There's some false apostles that came in, and they're, they're encouraging them to go back to an old way of life. And, and there's some things that are going on. And so Paul was always very, very uncomfortable with boasting of the flesh. And you're going to see this when he says, I'm speaking as a fool when we go through that language of this. And you find that Paul was always, because Paul knew, he knew the Old Testament. I mean, he studied the Old Testament. And he knew Jeremiah 15 that said, Cursed is the man who trusts in man, who makes his flesh his strength, whose heart has turned away from the Lord. See, Paul understood that my strength is not in my flesh. My strength is not in another man or, or the approval of someone else. My strength is in God and God alone. And in verse 32, as we walk through this, we're going to find a secret that is in Paul's life and an answer to a question that I've had forever about the Apostle Paul about how was he able to live the life of commitment that he did? And I mean, how was he able to go through sorrow, go through hurt, go through sacrifice, and go through great pain and continue on? And so Paul this morning is going to give us just three principles about kind of the, the characteristics, if you will, of a, of a committed believer, or characteristics of a, a mature believer. And he's basically going to give us some points and some principles that, that apply not only to the local church, but they also apply to the relationships around you. And so the Apostle Paul would just, just tell us three different things that, that you can tell that you're mature by the choices that you make, the sacrifices that you're willing to make, and then the love that you have for the local church or the love that you have for people around us. And so let's just kind of unpack that together this morning in our time. And so the first thing is this, is, is Paul said that we could tell that we're a mature believer by the, by the choices that we make. Look at this, verse 20. He says, for you bear it if someone makes slaves of you or devours you or takes advantage of you or puts on airs, boast of the flesh, arrogancy, or strikes you in the face. Here's what happened. There were some false teachers that were coming into the church and they were taking some of the Corinthians captive by their charisma, their emotion, by their great platform ability, their speaking ability, and they were impressed. Even though their philosophies, what Paul says, was empty and worthless. And so Paul had to speak to them and say, you know what, even as uncomfortable as it makes me, I need to talk a little bit about my credentials. I need to talk to you a little bit about who I am. And he says there's some false teachers that have come in. And here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to take believers that have been set free, that we sang earlier, free in Christ. 
And they're telling them, you need to go back to the old way of life of the Old Testament. Diet, days, drink. You need to honor the, 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 the feast. You need to honor the rules and the regulations and the rituals of the Old Testament. We today, we, we'd call that legalism, right? I mean, we'd just call it rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. And, and the reason people practice legalism in their day, the reason, same as the reason people practice legalism in our day, it works because it gets compliance. But it doesn't change the heart. Never, never forget that. If you have ever been a part of, seen a, a, a legalistic church, been a, been a part of a legalistic church, and it was rules and regulations and do's and don'ts and all this other stuff, it can get compliance, but guess what? It won't change the heart. That's why some of the meanest, most difficult, most judgmental people you will find are legalistic Christians. Because legalism may get compliance, may get everybody to follow rules and regulations, but guess what? It can never change the heart. They never can forgive, and they never can accept, and they never can offer grace to someone else because they've never found grace in their personal life. It's through rules and regulations. So Paul begins to outline some things. and says, Let me just tell you what they're doing to you. I mean, they're taking advantage of you. They're, they're using you. They're exploiting you. I mean... In the, in the Greek, it means to cover with bait. It means to take a bait and put it around a hook. And it means to, to look good on the surface, but there's another agenda. And they're taking advantage of you. And they make you slaves to them. He said, these that you may think are so impressive and empty philosophies. And they promise some things. And the cults today promise the same thing of their day. They promise relationships. They promise acceptance. They prom promise family, right? I mean, they... they ex they're taking advantage of you. And he says, and not only that, they're pushing themselves forward. They don't care about you. They care about their agenda. Listen, cults, common in our day is their day, they always will elevate man and de-elevate God. To where you follow a man. He got some special revelation. He got some special insight. And they don't stop there. They'll take God's word that's real and authentic and they de-elevate it, and they elevate their book, their writings. He said, listen, it's all about them. Look at them. They're using you. He said, not only that, they slap you in the face. He's not talking about a physical slap as much as he's talking about, it's a way of saying they insult you. They're making fun of you. They're getting you up in front of people and they're laughing at you that you can be set free in Christ and you don't have to observe the rules and the, ri the rituals of the Old Testament, the diet, the days, the drink. He said, they're, they're making fun of you. He said, I've, I've never manipulated you. I've never used you. I've gone to the extreme to prove that I don't use you. In verse 21, he goes on, to my shame, I must say, we were too weak for that. I wasn't going to use you. But whatever anyone else dares to boast of, and I'm speaking of a fool. So I feel so foolish talking about my credentials because my trust is in the Lord and it's not a flesh and it's not a man. And I also dare to boast of that.
See, they thought it was a sign of weakness. It was Paul's gentleness. But gentleness is strength under control. Paul was saying, I didn't try to use you. I mean, Christians should be men and women of great integrity. Jesus said our yes should be yes, our no should be no. If you're supposed to work from 7 to 5, work from 7 to 5. If you say you're going to pay on the 1st or the 15th, pay on the 1st or the 15th. If you say you're going to do lunch, do lunch. If you say you're going to call them, call them. Where your yes is yes and your no is no. See, believers, we should be the most trusted people at our companies, in our profession, in our school, in our neighborhood, and in our community. You cannot lead someone to Christ or show that you're a Christ follower and not be a person of integrity. It just won't work. Jesus is the one that said this. If you'll be faithful in little things, you'll be faithful in much. And here's where a lot of us compromise in the little things. We think it doesn't matter. Just a little lie. Just a little comment. Just a little thing. Nobody will notice. But, but Jesus was the one that said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. If you're not going to be faithful in the little God gives you, if you're not going to be faithful in the resources that God gives you now, you won't be faithful later. If you're not going to be faithful with your time, if you're not going to be faithful with your integrity, if you're not going to be faithful with your word in the little things, then you don't have a prayer in the big things. I have built a ministry on this. When, when I started out, I was teaching a bunch of seventh grade boys. That was like purgatory. I don't believe in purgatory, but if there is one, it is middle school boys teaching them Sunday school lessons. And I worked hard because this principle, if you'll be faithful with little, Jesus, I'll give you much. I'll bless a good steward. When I taught youth at risk ministry, the Crips and the Bloods and the little Latin Kings, I worked as hard then as I do now for a bunch of kids that society would say they're outcasts, they're worthless, and give up. I'll never forget when Brittany was young. She was about in the first grade, and Karen and her went to the grocery store, and Brittany was going to the car with her mom, and she stepped off the, the curb, and there in the parking lot is a $5 bill. Brittany went nuts, and then it turned theological, you know, theological. God has blessed me, and so I get home, and she has this $5 bill, and she's talking about all she's going to use the money on. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, that's not your money. Somebody else's money. And she says, yeah, but I found it. I said, but it's somebody else's money. And so I put her in the car, and to her great disappointment, and I drove her back down to the grocery store and asked to see the manager and says, listen, my daughter found a $5 bill in the parking lot, and uh, we need to return it. And he looked at me like I was nuts. He's like, sir, there is absolutely no way we can ever find out who lost this. It's only five bucks. And I, I just told him kind of quietly, I said, excuse me. I'm trying to teach my daughter what it means to be a person of integrity. It's more than the five dollars. And he said, oh. And so he knelt down and he looked at Brittany and he was just so cool. And he says, hey, here's what we'll do. Give me the $5, we'll put it in an envelope, we'll put your name on it, we'll put your dad's phone number there. And if in a week, if someone comes back for it, we'll give it to them. 
After a week, if they don't, we'll call you and you can come pick up the money. That week, like, crawled for Brittany. I mean, <laughs> that was more money than she'd ever seen in her life. Uh, and so after a week, they called us, and I took her in, and she was celebrating. And now she could spend that $5 without a guilty conscience. Well, she probably could have spent it without a guilty conscience before. <laughs> her dad couldn't. And you may say, you know what? That is a small deal. It is not a small deal. It is teaching someone of it to, how, to, how to be a person of integrity. Most of us blow it in the small things, in the little things. So many people tell me, when God gives me much, then I'll give. If you can't give in a little, you'll never give in much. The check's just too big. You'll choke on it. And Paul was trying to get them to understand your maturity is revealed in the choices. It's revealed in the choices that you're willing to make. And the second thing is this, is your maturity and my maturity is re revealed in the sacrifices that we're willing to make. See, it's not just the choices, it's the depth of choices that you're willing to make. And Paul is saying that you guys got to understand this. It's not only the choices that you make in life, but it's the depth of the choices. Watch this. Verse 12. Are they Hebrews? So am I. So here he goes. He's talking about his credentials. And let me tell you something. Nobody of that group had greater credentials than Paul. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Paul had credentials upon credentials. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was circumcised on the eighth day. He came out of the tribe of Benjamin. He studied under the greatest Jewish teacher of his day. He went to the most elite school of his day. Nobody had credentials like the Apostle Paul did. But I want you to see this. The Apostle Paul, when he began to talk about credentials... He did not talk about success. He did not talk about status. He talked about sacrifice. He talked about his scars. You see what he was saying? It's easy for anyone to stand up in the flesh and have all the credentials, have all the outward abilities, have the charisma and the, and the intelligence and, and the speaking ability and all that other stuff. But he says the way that you know they are committed is not by their success, is not by their status, is not by their credentials. The way that you know their maturity is in the sacrifices that they're willing to make it's in the scars that they're willing to carry verse 23 are they servants of christ i'm a better one i am talking like a madman is what he's saying he's like i can't believe i'm talking like this what far greater labors for more, far more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death five times i received the uh, at the hands of the Jews, the 40 lashes, less one. In other words, 40 lashes was death. They took him to the brink of death. They had a man counting on the side in case the one that was the executioner, the one that was, 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 was delivering the blows, lost count and accidentally killed him. They brought him to the brink of death five times. I received at the hands of the Jews and the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods and once I was stoned. And so Paul's saying, if you want to know my credentials as a leader, it is not in my status. I got the status. I got the school. I got the, cre the credentials. I got the degree. I got the education. I got the ability. But it is not in that. He could have pulled the shirt off his back. 
He said, here are the scars. Here's the sacrifice. And he goes on and he says, he says, three times I was shipwrecked in a night and a day and I was adrift at sea. Can you imagine spending 24 hours in the open sea of following God? He wasn't in sin, trusting God, planting churches, missionary journeys, winning people to Christ, writing most of the New Testament in words. And now you're floating in the open sea, dark, waves, cold, hanging on to a plank, a, pi a piece of the ship. And you're wondering, could Paul was still a man. You're wondering, here I am following God. Why isn't he taking care of me? Why isn't he protecting me? Why isn't everything working out for me? Can you imagine the thoughts that went through his mind? Wondering. Verse 26. On frequent journeys and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger. This may have been the most difficult one, danger from my own people. It's easy when it comes from the enemy. Isn't it hurtful? When it comes from fellow believers. People that say I'm a Christ follower. And they're the ones persecuting you. Danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. People that came in and you thought they were believers and then they rose up and you realized, oh no. In toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often, often without food, in cold and exposure, Paul is saying, I have lived a life constantly on the move, constantly uncomfortable. And he said, but my greatest credential is not my status. My greatest credentials is my sacrifice, my scars. And we have gotten so soft in consumerism Christianity to where very few of us are willing to sacrifice. Very few of us are willing to just go to the point to where we walk away and sacrifice to the point where we may have some scars. Oh, and that keeps a lot of people from serving. They talk about the scars at a past church. <coughs> Excuse me, the hurt and the pain. And they say, I'll never hurt like that again. I'll never teach a Bible study. I'll never serve in a church. I'll never really get to know anyone. Because that hurt and that pain and judgmental people was so difficult. See, if you're not careful, your scars will keep you from serving. Your hurt, your pain. Can I just tell you something just as your pastor and Don't let those people keep hurting you today. Don't let them keep controlling you today. They're in your past. You will never know freedom until you learn what it means to serve. The world will tell you, if I sacrifice, if I serve, I'll be miserable. The Bible teaches, and I've learned the exact opposite, in sacrifices where peace is and purpose, and meaning in life. 
Paul talks about his sacrifice and we have people, many people, that sacrifice out of their resources to, to fund the ministry here. And when you give here, you may not be able to be everywhere, but your dollar is. When someone meets Christ and you have given out of your resources, do you realize you are there? Your dollar is there. When we feed the hungry, when we go into Span Elementary, this last week we had volunteers in Span Elementary doing reading programs and everything else. When we give financial assistance, you may not be able there to, to be there, but your dollar is there. When we minister to people, we have people that sacrifice their priorities and their calendars. And they realize, you know what, it's not all about me. And they give of their time. And we've got some people that have given their time and you know what, they know they have purpose and they know they have meaning. People that have opened up homes. Jeff and Shirley Juba that open up their home every Sunday afternoon for a group of college students to have a home-cooked meal and build relationships. People that opened up their homes with life groups, people that show up early, 15 minutes early, just to greet, just to shake a hand and say, we're glad you're here. Oh, you got all kinds of things. See, part of our maturity is learning it's not just about the choices that we make. It's about the sacrifices that we're willing to make, whether it's with our time, our calendars, our priorities, our, our resources. Because a church this large, we got a lot of needs. And we got a lot of people with needs who just need a friend, just need encouragement, just need someone to welcome them just need someone to minister to them. The third and the last thing about, about um, spiritual maturity is this. Is that spiritual maturity in my life and your life is revealed when, through the love that we have for the local church. Verse 28. And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me. Talk about Paul of my anxiety seems kind of strange anxiety stress for all the churches not just his all the churches that preach the gospel and preach his word listen I love what I do almost every day there are some days, if we're honest, there are some days, not so fun. Uh, I love the story about the man that woke up one Sunday morning and, and rolled over in bed, to, looked at his wife and said, Honey, I am not going to church today. She goes, Oh, yeah, you are. He goes, No, I'm not. She, he says, I'm serious. I am not going to church. And she says, You're going to church. And he's like, Well, give me some reasons. Why should I go to church? I want to sleep in. Probably time change Sunday. But anyway... 
And she says, okay, number one, number one reason. You're the spiritual leader of our house. The kids need you to lead the way to church. The kids need you to set the example. I need you. You have to go to church. He goes, I'll do it next Sunday. She says, okay, honey, you have to go to church. You're the pastor. <laughs> Probably was more funny to a pastor than you. But can I just tell you the greatest, the greatest pressure, anxiety I feel as a pastor, and it may not even be in the area that you think, the greatest stress, pressure, anxiety that I feel is when people fail. For whatever reason, when people just don't get it, they just don't want to trust God with their life. When they make decisions they probably shouldn't make and hurt and pain come into their life. When they deal with some things in their life and I think, I just got to do a better job at preaching. I just got to do a better job at teaching. How can I, how can we as a church do a better job so people get it. So people feel loved and feel cared for. For people understand the grace and the forgiveness of God. How can we get better at life groups? So that people can come in and they, they have friends and they're loved and they're cared for. How can I help people understand the value when they serve in ministry and they serve in an area and, and what that means. How can I help people understand that church is not just an organization? Listen, if Jesus doesn't show up, we don't have a church. What makes us different from the Lion Club and the Rotary Club and every other social organization is that Jesus shows up. And how can I help people understand that being a part of a body to where you get to know each other and you invest in life in each other and you work and you know each other. Watch this. This is what Jesus said, John 13, 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, not where you go on Sundays or Saturday night, not by watch, not some denominational tag you may hang on your name. This is how they'll know that, they're, that they are my disciple. If you love one another, how can you love one another and you don't know each other? You don't know the people that you serve or, or worship with. And Apostle Paul, all the way through the book of 1 Corinthians, was talking to them that the church is a body. And that there's no insignificant parts to the body. Listen, not one of you is insignificant in this place, regardless of how God has gifted you, regardless of what you think about yourself and your abilities. Some of those insignificant parts on your body can become the most important part of your body. Break a toe. Pretty insignificant till you break that toe. Probably don't think of it a whole lot. And here's the other thing when you break that toe. The whole body suffers, right? That's what Paul said in 1 Corinthians. See, when you understand that you're a family, when you understand that you're connected, then one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. When one part of the body celebrates, the whole body celebrates. But how can you live that out? 
if you're never a part of the body at a deep way. See, a lot of us, we know John 3.16, but we don't know 1 John 3.16. Watch this. Here's what the scripture says. But this we know. By this we know love. That he laid down his life for us, speaking of Jesus. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. How can we live that out? Our pastor, our staff can't do it. How can we learn to come? That's the pressure I feel. How can we get better at helping people understand they're gifted? Helping people understand that it's more than just showing up and going through a worship service and going home. True growth comes in your life and my life. Listen, God uses the body to teach us some things. It's through the local church that God has used in my life to teach me about forgiveness, teach me about acceptance, teach me about love, teach me what it means to hurt when someone else hurts. How can we just get better at that? Here a while back we had a, a family in our church and their little girl uh, was taken to Parkview Hospital unresponsive. And it, the story turns out well for them and turned out well. They, they life flighted her out later to Denver Children's and, and uh, she had a, a miraculous recovery. And, and so I'm headed to the hospital and everything's going through my mind. It's a wonderful young couple. And, and not only is, is their daughter young, but they're also pregnant with another child. And you imagine the scene and what it's going to look like at the hospital. And then I got to the hospital and identified myself. And, and, and they said, oh, they're in here. And so they take me to the, the bad news room, right? I mean, you know that. I mean, in, 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 the, in, in the emergency room, there's one room for everyone. But then there's another room where they're going to have to deliver some pretty bad news. And so I knew it wasn't good. And I walked in there. Their small group, their life group, was there. They beat me to the hospital. What a cool deal. And they weren't just there visiting. They were there praying. And they walked with them. I mean, you, when you watch a family put a little child on a gurney, load them up on a helicopter... And send them off. You better have some friends around you. And Paul is trying to get the Corinthians and he's trying to get us to understand. Spiritual maturity is when we're connected to one another and we love one another and we accept one another. We encourage one another. Last night it was just such a cool deal. And we'll move on. But... Last night, it was just such a cool deal. Let me just back up. On Monday, we get a phone call from a family that had been listening to us on the radio, and they wanted to visit our church, but the problem is they had a son with autism. And so they just couldn't worship anywhere. And so they call in, and, and the call is routed to our children's minister, Becky Deutsch. And so she talks to them, and she says, you're not going to believe this. But we now have a teacher, a children's teacher on Saturday night, Troy, that's his job during the week. He's a special education teacher. He is trained and he is gifted to teach students with autism, downs, and other things. And she said, not only that, I carry credentials in that area as well. So I would tell you, come on Saturday night, put your son in Troy's class, we'll see how they do, 
how he does. I'm telling you what. After that service, mom and dad were off the charts happy. They said, Troy, connected with my son. And if my son does good one week, he'll do good every week because of his disability. What would happen if Troy had never served in that area? See, that's, that's what Paul's saying. That when you don't become a part of the body, the whole body suffers. And he goes on and he says, Who is weak? I am not weak. Who is made to fall? Am I not indignant if I must boast? I will boast of the things that show my weaknesses. The world tells you, don't let them see you flinch. Hide your weaknesses. Paul says, no. It's in my weaknesses that he is strong. You operate out of your weaknesses, you'll never trust in the flesh. It would shock you to know this is the hardest thing that I do as part of my job. If you were here in 1995, you would know that. And I have learned it's in your weaknesses that he has made strong because when you operate out of a weakness, you'll pray harder. You'll rely on him because you can't rely on your gifts. The God and Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us forever, knows that I am not lying. Paul's trying to help them understand that, listen, that God is the one that has used weak people. He's the one that has used unimpressive people. They said of the disciples, they said they're uneducated, they're, they're uneducated, unskilled. But then in Acts it says, but they have been with Jesus. That's our strength. That's our strength. And when we understand that, and when we understand that we, listen, I need you. I, I'm a better person because you are in my life. And we need each other. And so the big question that I had going through this, and, and it was just right before I walked out of my office Saturday night to preach this, God gave me some insight into this that I'd never seen before because he brought the Apostle Paul full circle uh, because there's some things in here that I didn't understand why verse 32 was in here. And so part of understanding Scripture is understanding it, is asking the question, with all the things God could have recorded in Scripture, why this? Why would this... There, why was this so important to record for thousands and thousands and thousands of years? Watch this. At Damascus, context, what happened in Damascus? When Paul was Saul, Paul was headed to kill Christians. And it was in Damascus that he met Christ. God was protecting the Christians and God was saving Paul. So Paul comes into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and he becomes a Christ follower. He begins following him. And so now in 2 Corinthians, Paul remembers back. This incident that he's referring to happened early in his ministry. And so he says, at Damascus, the governor under King Eridus was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, in order to kill me. And here's what the king did. The king took, and there was, there was walls around all the cities of their day for protection, and he stationed guards all the way around the city to kill him. But I was let down in a basket. Don't you know that was humbling? Running for your life. 
But I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall. And I escaped his hands. So what was Paul trying to teach him? What was, what was God trying to teach Paul? What was the message? And here's what God was trying to teach him and trying to teach us. Paul, the first time I saved you spiritually. The second time I saved you physically. I'm the God of your days. I'm the God of your days. The first time I saved you spiritually. I brought you into a relationship with me. I forgave you of the sins of your past. I gave you the, the ability to live life in freedom and freedom from the, for the future and the freedom to trust me. But Paul, as you enter ministry, if you're going to live a sacrificial life for me, you've got to understand, I also saved you physically. And I'll provide for you. I'll care for you. I'll protect you. I am sovereign and I'm sovereign in your sorrows. I'm sovereign in your hurt. I'm sovereign in your pain. And I'm sovereign in the good times of life. And some of you here this morning, you know God has saved you spiritually. And you know you have a relationship with him. And you know one day that you will be with him in eternity. But some of you are struggling with the issue. And you don't know if he saved you physically. And that's why it's hard to trust your life to Him. And let me tell you, He's the God of your days. And He's sovereign. And He'll protect you. It may not all work out the way you want it. And when you understand that He's the God of your days, you can rest in Him regardless of what happens.